This is Gotham TV Podcast, episode 105, about Gotham Dark Knight, season 4, episode 3, They Who Hide Behind Masks. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham. This is Robin Lloyd-Taylor. I'm David Mazuz. Hey, Gotham TV podcast listeners. This is Maggie Gia, otherwise known as Poison Ivy. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV podcast. Welcome back, old friends. Welcome back, Gothamites. This is Derek, one of your hosts, and we're talking about episode three of season four, They Who Hide Behind Masks. Yeah, hello there, fellow Gothamites. This is John, your other host, and we are here talking about masks. Mm, yeah, many masks in this episode. Many masks, but not all involving a mask. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is obviously our spoiler-filled review of Season 4 of Gotham uh, as we're continuing our coverage. This episode aired last week, uh, and really enjoying being back to covering Gotham at the US pace. And just want to say, because we haven't said it last episode, but just want to say a welcome to all of our new listeners. Really good to have you on board with us. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome on board to uh, this uh, Gotham TV podcast, where, of course, if you don't already know, you can find that at Apple Podcasts. Just go gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Or in fact, now you can go to gothamtvpodcast.com and just hit one of the many subscribe buttons, whether you're an Android fan, whether you are an Apple fan, or whether you are just simply a uh, fan of RSS feeds. You can uh, go over there and click to subscribe. Please subscribe and, of course, share the love as well for the Gotham community. Absolutely. And speaking of new listeners, really, really good of Miss Jennifer to leave us a review over on iTunes. It's our first review over there in about three years now. Uh, well done. You broke it just before the third anniversary, Jennifer. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Jennifer gave us a five-star review and says, I don't know how I didn't find this podcast until season four, but it is truly the best Gotham recap I have heard. Thank you so much for that. Yes. Thank you, Jennifer, for that. That's really, really nice of you. Um, and of course, yeah. Sharing the love is always uh, great. Yeah, if you want to leave a review for us, just go over to iTunes, as John said, through gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. It'll take you straight to our page over on iTunes. You can leave us a review if you'd like to hear some more. Uh, if you want to send us any feedback at all, you can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Tell us what you think of the podcast. Tell us if there's anything you think you want to improve. Or you can enter our prize draw, which we do, which we've been doing every season. Uh, the prize draw for this season is all about the best moments of Gotham, and there were tons in this episode, really. Oh, completely. Um, um, I think this was a fantastic episode of Gotham, uh, and I think with that we should probably delve on into it. Derek, what are the episode details for this episode of Gotham? This episode was directed by Mark Tonderoy, British director. This is his second episode of Gotham so far. He did like The Wick in season three, and he'll be back for episode six of Gotham. And it was written by Stephen Lillian and Brian Winbrandt. Uh, we'd mentioned last time they were on board that they've gotten their own show. Um, the, the two of them are writing. We thought they wouldn't be back for season four of Gotham. I am delighted that they're back. Definitely. I think some of the best moments between Bruce and Alfred um, in Gotham so far are really good to see a, a Bruce and Alfred-centric episode for sure. Definitely. So, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Jim Gordon takes matters into his own hands when he travels to meet Carmine Falcone as he attempts to persuade him for his help in the fight against Penguin. There he meets Carmine's daughter, Sophia Falcone, who unexpectedly follows Gordon back to Gotham. The battle for the prize weaponry of Penguin continues during auction night at the Iceberg Lounge, and the presence of Bruce Wayne puts him on Penguin's radar. Bruce dons another mask as billionaire playboy and beats Barbara to her prize, the dagger of Rish al Ghul, her new mentor. Meanwhile, the iceberg at the centre of Iceberg Lounge is melted, releasing a damaged enigma back onto the streets of Gotham. Yeah, the official synopsis for this episode said that Jim Gordon goes to Miami. 
which I thought was really surprising uh, because Miami is not a city that exists in the DC world. So I think it might have been written by somebody in the marketing team over at Warner Brothers. It was um, a very cloudy Miami and, and a very was. hilly Miami as well. Um, <laughs> I suspect it wasn't Miami. I suspect it might have been in the Hamptons in New York. I think so. I think so. Or in the DC world, it was probably called... Beach City. Beachville, or Beach Town, yeah, yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, so they do kind of mention the show, I was looking out for it. Uh, Carmine says in the flashback episode that he has a place down south to go to, um, but I think someone has made the guess that it was Miami, but definitely not Miami. Uh, we are in the DC universe, a lot of the cities are just uh, are named things like Metropolis for a city, um, obviously, and Gotham for a dark city, uh, representing New York. Um, but yeah, some really good stuff going on in this episode. I think it's time to get into our top five case notes. If you're just joining us, the way we talk about our episodes is we choose our top five moments from the episode sometimes some good some bad uh, this time i think most of them are going to be pretty good lots of lots of stuff went on this time uh, our case note number one cast dons a mask this is kind of the opening sequence where bruce is uh, checking out the the uh, shipment for penguin and he sees a another mask wearing person uh, on his radar Yes, uh, he thinks it's just another burglar, um, or, or does he, I wonder, think whether it's another vigilante, but uh, in any case, Cat uh, is lucky to escape the the uh, bullets that are riddling the side of that truck that she's trying to um, try and break into, mm-hmm. uh, were held in there, we have Rish Al Ghul's dagger, um, and of course we have that amazing opening uh, from 2,000 years ago where we see uh, Rish Al Ghul being resurrected in the Lazarus pit by another previous mentor and we see this dagger here. Rish obviously at some point has lost that and is now trying to reclaim this this dagger which is I think later on in the episode is called out as a resurrection dagger um, so this must be something really important uh, with regards to the Lazarus pit. In fact, I think he does say it is key to the whole thing. It's so, the key to everything, that's right. Um, but yeah, here we see um, Selena with a, a mask on to protect her identity. She doesn't know that she's been watched by Bruce. Um, but here is another set of interactions between Selena uh, uh, and Bruce here on the streets of all the docks of Gotham. And I must say, I, I really... I'm liking this kind of parallel look at how the two of them are evolving. I think it's a really nice touch just because they're so intertwined, um, you know, when they are the full-on Catwoman and, and Batman and a really difficult relationship. And I think you really get the sense of that difficult relationship coming out in this episode and and I think in Gotham in general. But I, I like how there's the parallels to them um sort of sneaking around for different purposes, but they still have a moral code which they go uh, go by. And I like that their relationship is so kind of... Um, it's not straightforward by any stretch. Right? No. It really twists and turns um, and, and, you know, can be difficult at places. So I, I really like how it captures that. Yeah, and Bruce doesn't recognise that it's Selena, right? He, he I don't think so. Um, we find out that's, that Selena's been told to put on the mask by Barbara. Um, so Barbara's her mentor, just like Alfred is, is Bruce's mentor. She's learning and picking up little tips and tricks from various people across uh, across the city of Gotham and her development as the character as well, which I think is really, really cool. But she does lose the respect of Babs because she fails in this mission. She's lost that position where she's where she effectively was a partner in Barbara's business uh, and getting that that ability to be a member of the new Gotham Sirens effectively in the, in in this city because she doesn't do this. So I think that's quite interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. Selena is has got a really interesting story arc and uh, with her. Uh, association with Tabitha and and certainly with the uh, more mysterious uh, Barbara uh, for this season. But I do like that she's still interacting there with Bruce Wayne and that that relationship is kind of, it's almost out of pure grudge that it's still going on. Um, And certainly later on when we see that she expects that she can just turn up at Bruce Wayne to steal the dagger back from Bruce after he has managed to to get uh, get hold of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it leads to a really nice little 
scene between the two of them and you know you can hear bruce's exasperation with her of you know what did you expect you could just do yes i'm a billionaire but i've just spent two million yeah. uh, on this you know he calls her out as being uh barbara's um well he really calls out that she's barbara's lackey kind yeah. of runner just doing everything and you know it, it's a really interesting thing that the two of them are so close yet can really break apart and seem quite distant at the easiest opportunity. Um, and I think that's a really good scene. I think it really kind of, for me at least, really explains maybe, you know, the the almost grudging loyalty they have to one another, but also deep down there is something special there and they know that, but they can't help but also um, hunker down and, and really approach their own relationship from, you know, the high moral standards of Bruce and, and the high personal standards of Kat for just trying to get along and, and to really, um, make a success of herself. Yeah. Um, but that, that is within the realms of, um, being with the underground of, of Gotham rather than, um, you know, these, the more, uh, socially acceptable elite like Bruce and, I think it's a nice little contrast for here yeah. uh, that it, it really flows through these two characters and to me kind of projects into the future with Catwoman and, and the Batman. Absolutely. I did call it out last week with the way that uh, the Tabitha tra- treated Selena, where she effectively said, get this message to Barbara, which meant that, uh, that Selena was carrying the message directly to Barbara. And then this week we've got uh, her being called out again by Bruce as being just a lackey. Um, it's quite interesting that didn't work out too well for the uh, the people of Gotham and their treatment of Poison Ivy a couple of weeks ago. So I'm wondering if there's going to be some backlash from Selena. She keeps getting treated as a runner rather than a partner. Absolutely. I mean, I know we've seen some of the training that Tabitha is doing with uh, Selena, but um, I, I feel that all of a sudden that's gone uh, in, into the background a bit um, you know and I, I would really have loved to have seen Tabitha uh, and Selena really gel uh, as uh, a couple uh, and Tabitha be a real influence mm-hmm. um, in terms of her training and her strength uh, and at the moment other than a few uh, alley scenes and so on I don't think we've seen that and it's a shame it, you know I almost would like Tabitha to be like Alfred for Selena mm. almost have yep. that relationship because I think for those two characters it would have been really really cool in season four to also see um you know the development of uh Catwoman um, and Selena Kyle yeah. in the same way that we're seeing Bruce certainly because the two of the characters have so much shared um history and a shared relationship that is difficult. It's an interesting one with Selena, though. She is one of those people that just butts up against any type of authority at all. And Tabitha's not the best at giving directions either without without kind of a bit of a swift backhand if you don't follow her lead. So no, that are, is true. So they are quite an interesting group to be uh, to be mentor and student uh, when one doesn't listen to the other. And uh, if you don't pay attention, you might get a whip across the face from uh, from the other. So. Absolutely. But speaking of people who don't listen to advice, on to Jim Gordon, <laughs> our second case note. Um who heads off down south to Beachville, um, yes. aka maybe Miami, uh, to Probably to not. try and get help from Don Falcone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he is here on a mission to try and bring some of that old school mobster respect and symbiotic relationship between um, the the mob and the police in Gotham. Of the mob and the Gordons, quite specifically, because he calls out the fact that his father used to have quite a good relationship with Don Falcone, and that's why they kept the peace of Gotham in the past. So he was looking to rekindle that now. After after three seasons living in the city, he realises, actually, maybe the, the mob weren't that bad. Yeah, I mean, I think for Jim, it really is the case in point of the grass is most definitely greener on the other side. Given his moralizing to Falcone in previous episodes of Gotham, he is now sort of looking back fondly, if not nostalgically, as to that moment when, you know, cops could be cops, mobsters could be mobsters. There was no resurrection. There was no Lazarus Pit. There was no Indian Hill. Um, And so now he's um, trying to default it, uh, bring it back to a, a, a more romantic age in Gotham where, <laughs> yes, there was still crime, there was still guns, but um, there, there was the line in the sand. Um, but 
exactly as Penguin is trying to do, but maybe not quite as blatant. Yeah. Um, you know, it was conversations in dark, smoky rooms or down in dark uh, underground passages or back alleys where deals were made. And um, he's not really a fan of Penguin's more public way of doing business. There was very much this kind of style with Moroni and Falcone that they threatened a lot of people but didn't necessarily act on them. It feels like the way Penguin and the other gangsters now have, have gotten, the new villains have gotten, the way they act is they kill a lot of people and that sends the message, basically. So uh, so it's interesting. Before we go into the rest of the little points about this, little notes about this particular point, a lot of this is really to do with, I feel, a lot of setup for the rest of the season. Um, I, I don't trust Falcone and never have. He's not a character that you would trust at all, remember. Do you mean, is he dying? Well, Is he loads, really dying? Exactly. There's loads in here that just makes um, makes a very dubious case for uh, for the relationship that's going to happen here. So first off, as you said, yeah, Falcone says he's dying, so he's refusing help for the saving of Gotham. Now, you know, Falcone, if you ever hear a character say, well, doctors don't have any idea why I'm dying, some people say it's just payback. It's a very, uh, it felt like a very, don't investigate this, Jim, you'll find nothing um, from the doctors. That's what it kind of felt like the way he explained it. So I can't imagine we're going to lose Don Falcone very quickly. And I also thought it was interesting that there was absolutely no mention of his recently bereaved son, Mario, uh, despite um, the rather tense uh, re- uh, situation that arose between Falcone and Jim. Um, he, he seemed to have put that behind him, yeah. or has he? I.e., that yes, this is going to have some kind of longer term payback for Jim that Jim is not really seeing at the moment. And I think this will most definitely involve his daughter, Sophia, who we see here as yes. well. Yes, a brand new character to the show. It looks like she's going to be very centrally involved. She's very quick to take the bait from Jim and also very quick to plant a kiss on the lips of uh, of this new Gotham visitor. Uh, quite interesting, Definitely. that always. And as I said, another thing, just don't trust it. She says the fact that she's a gangster. She says she's been a gangster for the last 10 years when living down south with her father. so um, And she also says how close she was to her brother. All of these things should be indicators. Don't go near her, Jim. Yeah, th- this is a relationship that you're not going to come out on top of, or there's going to be some serious hurt. And I mean, certainly she is getting herself very close to Jim. They shared a kiss. Mm-hmm. They took a romantic walk uh, down the beach. Yeah. Um, she also wore some fairly revealing um, stuff. Uh, and she follows him back to Gotham and comes into the GCPD precinct with some fairly uh, rouge lips to really entice Jim. So, um, but Jim takes that kiss, which is kind of interesting because, you know, um, Leslie has only just gone uh, back to um, another unexplained place in the uh, Gotham world. I think it's up north, isn't it? Up north, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Boston. And, uh, <laughs> or... Um, Probably Boston Town, if it's in the DC Universe. Boston Town. Or maybe she's gone to Bloodhaven to really um, get to town with Jim's prophetic dream of a bath full of blood, mm-hmm. maybe. Interesting. Uh, but interesting. yeah, certainly I think... This is not going to end well for Jim. There's too much chance of a double cross here with Carmine and Sophia being involved so close to um, her brother being shot by Jim. And whilst they may be playing into his vision for what they want, this could be just a route back to um, supremacy in Gotham that they see for Falcone. Uh, Whether Falcone is dying or not, whether that's a red herring, who knows uh, but certainly there's great introduction here for Sophia, and I really liked it. And yeah. I actually really liked all this jumping around. I mean, we started in sort of the the ancient past with um, Rachel Ghul around Persia, Mesopotamia, all that kind of stuff, the Middle East uh, feel to, um, to at the start. Absolutely we, beautifully shot scene. Yeah, a huge, really cool. Absolutely. A huge a shout out to Kaza FX who do all of the effects work for uh, for Gotham 
and for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., loads of shows, they they do a fantastic job of just creating the scenery. It felt like real budget was spent on that opening of the episode. Really, really good. Yeah, definitely. And I think then then all of a sudden we're jumping to the, you know, this city in the south where Carmine is holed up in, sort of recovering and, and, and relaxing. Mm-hmm. Then we're back to Gotham. Then we're back to Miami. This At the, the start, there were so many jumps across different areas. I really did feel to me slightly uh, like an opening of a Bond film where you you go from the opening credits then back to London and then off to somewhere else exotic. This had a really nice um, fly around um, parts of the the DC world that we don't know fully um, what the the Miami place was. uh, But, you know, this was really cool. Um, I thought for, I think, for the show to move around so much but across space and time. Yeah, I think we've also said many times on the show that when Gotham works best, it works when it's focusing on many different characters and giving loads of room to many th- things going on. My last point about this particular uh, part of the episode is I just feel like Sophia has just done a lot of research on Jim and the type of people that he's into, the type of things, the type of women that he's into. Um, I think that's where she's coming from here. So don't trust her. We'll see what comes up, especially when she comes to you, Jim, and says, um, Gotham is my birthright. I'm not going to give it up. Yeah, you're probably going to have to take it back from her if you ask her for help against uh, against the Penguin. She's certainly a bit of a femme fatale, I would say. But yeah, now John, we're fans of Gotham, obviously. That's why we do a podcast about it. We're huge fans of Gotham. Yeah. But we do have another fan here on the show. I think she might out-fan us. For case point number three, Riddler's number one fan. Absolutely. Do you think this might have come from an experience maybe a member of the cast uh, might have had in the past? Or maybe (laughs) something that they're getting a little bit concerned about four four seasons into this show where there are some quite obsessive fans out there. Well, that's it. I mean, we had a femme fatale... Uh, for Sophia uh, with Jim, and this was a fan fatale for for the Riddler, definitely. Uh-huh. Um, it did feel very misery esque. Uh, I was expecting her to say, "I'm your number one fan," but I have to say, um, I loved Myrtle. I loved her her ramblings, her her logic, her her musings, and her devotion to the Riddler. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so. So cool to see this fan break the Riddler out of his icy prison and then really begin to realise that he's a bit of a dick, really. (laughs) Um, You know, he really was not going to take to Myrtle. The Riddler is a loner. Um, He wants to do it his way. He is the number one guy. He is the most intelligent to be able to bring about these plans. He does not want a riddler at. He does not want this sidekick, which I thought was just superb. I think, you know, Myrtle put so much effort into this, looking at um, the Penguin's schedule, really trying to break Oswald's security and, and get to her most prized possession, Riddler in mm-hmm. ice. Um, and... Yeah, he really doesn't show much gratitude. You know, she's trying to bring his muscles back from atrophy. She's doing acupuncture. She's trying everything to get his muscles working again. She's even starting to read him riddles. I love that. That was just like a a mother or father and child situation uh-huh. where she's reading him children's riddles at bedtime. Um, I just thought this was so cool. Absolutely. And one of the best jokes in the episode, in case you missed it, when uh, when Myrtle says, I think I was working the wrong muscle, and the reaction from Ed in the bed going, uh, what? Uh, she goes, I meant your brain. He's, okay, fine. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But he does cut her down to nothing when she comes out wearing her outfit, saying, um, me and you, I'll be your sidekick. Um, wouldn't that be great? And he goes, no, I think taking somebody else's idea and using it for yourself is the wrong thing to do. It's like just cut her down completely. Yeah. But his brain is definitely broken and he really delivers some fantastic answers to uh, Myrtle's riddles. I think the one what's black, white and red all over, um, of which he says, of which Ed says, a nun in a blender. And then she reads the from the children's ones about what's green and red and goes round and round at 100 miles an hour, which is a frog in a blender, mm-hmm. of which uh, Ed still, because of his brain, he cannot get any of the riddles. Um, but I have to say, I just loved the comedy 
bug knockout from from Ayers <laughs> uh, to Myrtle uh, as as she just her head snaps across and then she she falls. And of course, we have to say a big R.I.P. to <sighs> Myrtle as well. I mean, this this shining green light of fun kookiness. Um, has entered into Gotham, and then she is absolutely and um, uncompromisingly wiped out by Zaz, Victor Zaz, at the orders of Oswald Cobblepot, who has been going bananas over the loss of his most important centerpiece. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, Myrtle, whilst you were here on Gotham, you made me laugh. Uh, I loved the kookiness. I loved the Riddlerette sidekick, mm-hmm. the, the outfit. I think it was more just to see the pain as well. It was just that 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 sort of pain on the Riddler's face going, no, you're not being my sidekick. I don't work well with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved your enthusiasm for uh, the post of Riddlerette, which was never going to happen. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Riddler really only has one thing on his mind, and that's the death of the Penguin. Um, but there is some questions over whether she's dead because the uh, because the camera cut uh, immediately before Zaz fired his bullet. And Zaz seemed quite impressed with it. The fact that he compliments her dress and then pulls the trigger um, has led some people to speculate that we might see her back. Unfortunately, I think that was just because it was shown in the 8 to 9 p.m. hour in the U.S. That yeah. didn't want to see a bloody myrtle. Uh, but a, an excellent addition. And is definitely our character of the week for this episode, having myrtle in the show. And my moment of the week as well. Cool. Definitely, yeah. Let's go on to case note number four. This is my moment of the week. Playboy Bruce Wayne. The, yes. Yeah, the many, the faces. many faces. Indeed. We have Bruce, obviously, in his black vigilante outfit at the start. We also see him uh, impersonating a nephew of a New York docker uh, with his flat cap, looking very 1930s there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Alfred says, we must devise new masks that are not just the mask of your vigilante outfit. Um, and we have then the beginnings of his other alter ego of playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne. And was this a treat uh, to see Alfred and Bruce in this whole new situation? And I thought how David Mazous played playboy Bruce Wayne. The auction was a delight to behold. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this. The first... uh, moment we see is Bruce buying a painting for 250 grand, so a quarter of a million dollars spending on it in front of a room full of people that, that may have wanted that painting, and his instant response going, I think I'll put it up in the bathroom. I love art. Uh, it's great. And he's <laughs> screaming and whooping and yeah. trying to do high fives and everything, and ends up having to high five himself, because Alfred is kind of like, uh, no, yeah. uh, that was... Uh, that would upset my decorum and posure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the, the auction with, with Barbara for Raz al Ghul's, uh, knife as well, where right. he keeps going, uh, two million and one. And then it's three million dollars and one cent. And it is just his, the, the smile, the uh, cheeky kind of mischievous smile on Bruce Wayne's face uh, as Barbara is kind of getting more and more annoyed with uh, Bruce Wayne. Mm. And I love how the Penguin comes racing in to to seal the deal with with Bruce Wayne before Barbara can say anything so that she doesn't get the, the dagger. And, and then almost afterwards uh, has to explain to him she, she you have to watch that one you have to watch barbara keen um you know I, there's no doubt she will be after this and she may come after you like the delight on his face that not only did he prevent barbara from obtaining this dagger but he's also in a sense placed uh bruce in some kind of harm's way yeah. uh, as well um he is an agent of chaos uh no doubt after after this but i think um bruce wayne during his his playboy um persona uh, at that auction is absolutely fantastic and i have to say uh with regards to being the nephew of the new york docker alfred on the boat i absolutely love that scene um in in the 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 captain's bridge on the boat where alfred comes to save the day after bruce has been found out and then has to just let his, his own um, 
American accent drop uh, and knocks the two guys out. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> there is the reference that Alfred goes, he goes, yeah, his acting is not that great, is it? To, to the guys, uh, as, as, as he's talking about Bruce's, um, sort of docker accent from New York. And it was just like such good fun. I would say as actors, this must be a really great thing to play. Not only is it, you know, it, Alfred talks about improvisation, talks about the, the accents, the costume, all that. It must be such good fun, uh, to play. And I think, um, it's a great new little avenue for these two to develop these different, um, personas and these different masks of different people in order to, to break in and investigate. It's not simply the Batman outfit or the vigilante outfit Absolutely. in this case, you know, Absolutely. it's really good. And, and it's, it's something that we have to see. We have to see the development of Playboy Bruce Wayne. We have to see that side of him, the public face of Bruce Wayne, because if he continues to be holed up in Wayne Manor and only occasionally come out at night as the vigilante, well, then the city of Gotham doesn't know who he is and they'll obviously suspect that he's the Batman because there's no other choice in the city. Uh, whereas if he is able to come out and do these events and throw his money around and look like a bit of an imbecile, then people will never suspect that he's the Batman. So great to see it. And I have to say, fair dues for that to David Mazus. You said it as well, John, but this character feels so much more like the actor himself He's not a stoic character. When, when you've seen him at, at panels, at events, at interviews, he is a kid. He's a really fun, lively kind of kid. So I'd say for him, allowing him to do this scene as well was just a joy for him to be able to release that stoic, uh, quiet, um, angry, aggressive character that he's had to play for three seasons and he's able to just have a bit of fun with everybody. Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, it, it, it moved on and developed the storyline of Alfred and Bruce. It had them central to the episode. It, it developed the vigilante aspects and, and the other personas of Bruce Wayne. But it was also genuinely light and funny, but it felt right. Um, I loved how it interacted with with the Penguin and with Barbara. You know, it was... Also, still, there was that little bit of a threat and, and danger from what he was doing and because of who he's playing with, which is the Penguin mm -hmm. and Barbara. And it was really, really cool um, to see. But as you say, he is on Barbara's radar now. And I think that moves us on to our case note five with Barbara and her relationship with Ra's al Ghul. It is not only the um, the learning of martial arts. It's not only... The, the resurrection uh, of her by Ra's al Ghul from the Lazarus Pit. It is not only this um, cover for Rachel Ghul in, in Gotham through the, the, the gum store, but it is also tongues. <laughs> they have a relationship. They there is a feisty bit of sexy play going on between Babs and Rabs. Um, you know, here, nice. uh, really, um, kind of interesting, but I love that we get this confirmation that Babs was brought back to, uh, life, uh, from, uh, the Lazarus pit by Raish. And I, uh, I think, um, I'm just wondering, is the reason that she was brought back, is it because Raish wants to stay in the shadows of Gotham? Like he is 2000 years old. He has obviously had to hide his identity quite a few times. You know, this moment where we have Bruce realizing that it is Raish, uh, is Raish's dagger. Uh, is because there's a drawing of him in a, a book 2,000 years old. I wonder, does Raish want to stay in the background? And that's why Barbara's going to be his front of house now in Gotham. Is she going to be set up so that she does all of the, the work that would put that would be out in the spotlight so that Raish won't have to be in the spotlight? Yeah, definitely. I think um, Raish al Ghul, it's the League of Shadows. It's the League of Assassins. These are people who want to keep their motives away from people. They like to control other people in order to get to their objectives. I think this is no different, but maybe the fact that he has seen fit to place it in the Lazarus pit, which he wouldn't do with any one of his assassins necessarily, and that he sees something special in her. Is there a previous relationship? I mean, he seemed to suggest that he had had an eye on her, that he had seen her work before. You know, why is this? Is this some kind of long lost daughter of his that she doesn't know about you know is she going to be Italia uh, Al Ghul or is it something as simple as her being um, his front in Gotham now that the Court of Owls has gone um, it's really interesting but certainly he has um, fighty love interest with her 
I would say after that final scene, I really, really hope this isn't his daughter, Talia Al Ghul, because that would be that is true. really, really yeah. weird. <laughs> didn't think that one through, John. Did no, you? I didn't. Um, That's maybe, true. Maybe it's his wife and they give birth to Talia, possibly in a, f- in a future. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, so we always thought that Babs would be the wife of Jim Gordon in the future. Maybe she's going to be the wife of, of Rachel Gould and, uh, and they will create Talia Al Ghul because, yeah, I would be really concerned if it's a yes. long lost. So we it. can confirm, probably, that Babs is not Talia, not Talia Al Ghul. Despite yeah. the theory from our podcast last <laughs> week, and given uh, that I have walked into a trap of my own making. Um, <laughs> but, yes, certainly um, could be a wife then, maybe. Yeah, and, and we get little... Talia uh, born, but certainly um, there is a spark there, a fighty spark. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens between these two. Cool scene, um, and really, really enjoyed it. There was a, a cool moment at the interview that was with Erin Richards about her character for this season of Gotham, where she mentioned that she used to be a dancer, much like Cameron Bikendova, never had the success of Cameron Bikendova as a dancer, but she said for this season she was learning a lot of fight moves, uh, which I think is really cool. It's come across really well. If you remember back to season one, our laughter at the fight between herself and Marina Bakarin, uh, where they fought over Jim in the apartment. It was hilarious seeing these two characters who clearly had never had any fight training, um, just slapping each other in the face for an episode. Uh, was hilarious in the first season and taken as funny, obviously. But seeing Barbara versus Rachel Gould in this episode, there's a t- genuine fight scene here. Yeah, I love the fighting here, and I love how, you know, Babs is on the back foot here, Raish is the master here, and um, how she is concerned potentially about what he may do, given that she hasn't been able to secure this dagger. But as soon as that he learns that it is Bruce who has obtained it, um, he's happy with that. That's his heir as far as he is uh, concerned. And so Babs, unbeknownst, has done a good thing here. Yeah. She has absolutely uh, been able to do the right thing as far as Raish is concerned. Um, so I, I'm hoping that it also works out for Selena as well, who is presumably going to turn back up at, uh, at Barbara's place empty-handed again. But Barbara is going to be a bit more forgiving and a bit more lenient with her that, okay, that's a good thing. Um, so hopefully um, we'll see how this dagger relates to uh, th- this sort of building network of... of um, Heroes and villains uh, yeah. in, in Gotham. Yeah. Uh, it's probably just the MacGuffin to bring them all together, uh, but certainly um, it's probably a little more than that. In that, it is the key to the whole thing. Yeah, um, really you know? intrigued to see what that. Means. But then, so was the Crystal Owl, and really that didn't have the the, the central uh, focus, maybe uh, as we thought. It was kind of a bit thrown away in the end. Not the original one, and the first one was thrown away by yeah, Jerome. So, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see see what happens. Right. Yeah, I think that's our top five case notes for the episode. I think we've kind of split our moment of the week. Definitely mine is Bruce's line where he says, where he wins the auction and goes, am I right? And goes for, goes in for the high five and has to high five himself. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's such a good thing. Um, but certainly Myrtle Jenkins, uh, played by I- Ileana Becker. And um, definitely, I love the idea of the riddlette. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just because it's so incongruous with the Riddler and, and the intellect of, of Enigma. And here we have a great performance um, by Ileana uh, as Myrtle Jenkins, being this kind of obsessive fan of the Riddler, but in the end getting absolutely no kind of uh, thanks from Enigma. But Enigma is in a strange place, and I'm kind of liking this, that... His brain is not firing on all synapses uh, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so it would be great to see how that uh, moves forward as well. Yeah, great, a great moment here from from Alana Becker. Uh, really cool to have her on the show. It kind of reminds me of Miriam Lowe back in uh, back in season two um, with with Oswald, the obsessive kind of crazy character stuck, yeah, stuck in the attic. Uh, another great uh, resident of Gotham. And sad that she's not going to be back. But John, what do you think overall the episode? I would give this five high fives out of five. Wow. Um, And you don't have to give them to yourself either. I'm totally giving you a high five on that one. Definitely. I I thought this was a fantastic episode of Gotham. And I think primarily because 
you've got a great um, sort of tour around different things here from Richard Gould's origin through to going down to visit Falcone and seeing Sophia uh, Falcone as well. And with and just what that is going to bring to the table in Gotham, you know, it is this a double-edged sword for Jim? I think it probably will be. Yep. I think, though, for me, just how this was so Bruce and Alfred-centric was fantastic. And I loved this whole new area of them exploring different masks, the many masks of Gotham uh, that Bruce will need to bring in order to be an effective vigilante. And of course, Batman moving forward so that he is able to investigate um, the the things within Gotham that he is trying to stop and prevent. And I thought that was really good. I mean, for me uh, as well, then, having uh, Ed Nigma released from his icy cage, mm-hmm. and especially that it, uh, he was released by Myrtle Jenkins, the Riddlerette R.I.P. Uh, it was such good fun. This was a, a this was a light episode of Gotham, which also had a lot of meaning, a lot of depth to it, uh, and having a lot of consequences uh, for this season moving forward. And I think that's a really great line to to be able to bring to an episode. And that's why I give it uh, five high fives out of five. I loved this episode. Our first five out of five for season four already. I'm only three episodes into the season. It it has been that good. It really has. Uh, this is an episode I've been waiting for since season one. I loved Devin Mazus. I've loved Sean Pertwee together as characters all the way back to season one and having an episode that's so focused on them and allows them to stretch every bit of what they've done so far in a scene here and there throughout the rest of the episodes. Having all of these moments together in one episode has been great. Big shout out to uh, Victor Zaz in this episode for sp- providing a little extra comedy um, when he sees the broken down ice iceberg in the middle of the iceberg lounge. His response looking at it is, it really opens up the room, doesn't it? <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely. great. His delight at getting the riddle right about the uh, frog in a blender, um, really getting that approval from somebody saying, you are smart, uh, Victor. That, that was quite Absolutely. Cool. I mean, Anthony Carrigan uh, brings so much to this um, character of Victor Zaz. Uh, it's a joy to watch just the facial expressions of, of joy at a big gun um, or, or being given an order to go off and kill you know um, I, I, I think he plays it really really well Definitely. within the series and his responsiveness to whether it is Bruce whether it's Galavan you know he, he has been shifting around on many sides to um, his time on Gotham he is a survivor he knows how to um, work between different players you know he was originally with Falcone mm-hmm. so I mean a great character, and he brings a lot of joy, uh, I think, to to this show. It's yeah. really good. I think all he wants is someone to be able to tell him who to murder next. That kind of seems to be his his mo. Uh, I think I could talk about this episode all day, but uh, but we should really throw throw it over some feedback. We Definitely. Uh, if you want to send in your feedback, you can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or pop on over to the website at gothamtvpodcast.com. You'll see a voicemail button on the right hand side, and you can leave us ninety seconds of your thoughts about any of the episodes so far just like Claire Payne did Hello Gotham TV podcast I really like the lighter tone to this episode but it still had that element of mystery great to see Carmine Falcone back and his introduction of his daughter Sevilla um, she really um, wants to prove herself to her father and I like the way Carmine was with Jim as well um, Alfred and Bruce were superb in all the scenes that they did um, and the auction scene was particularly fantastic. Um, Oswald's reaction to Ed being defrosted was definitely how I expected him to react. This is where Goffin always surprised me. I was expecting a bigger, more elaborate scene of the Riddler being defrosted. But while I was watching the episode, there was a little voice in my head saying, it's Gotham, there must be more to this story. And then, a, and there actually was. And she was called Myrtle Jenkins. And what an absolute delight. I I loved how she is his number one fan. She knew him from school and was so disappointed when he didn't know how to solve any of the riddles that she was giving him, even though they were very simple ones. Unfortunately, she does come to an end um, in the hands of Zaz. And, but I think the big shocker was Barbara making out with Rachel Gould at the end. But I have to say, I thought Erin doing her fight scenes with him were fantastic. Many thanks. 
Claire. Thank you so much, Claire. Absolute shocker it was to see uh, Babs uh, making out with Rachel Gould. Certainly, if uh, she ends up being Talia Al Ghul, as I, I said. Not. But I, so I, I truly <laughs> hope that it is um, maybe moving towards a relationship um, that will produce Talia Al Ghul. Yes. But certainly, I don't think um, them together. No, exactly. Um, it's interesting, actually, speaking about Myrtle again, because to begin with, um, when she is about to break Ed out of the the ice, um, she's just silhouetted, uh, and you have no idea who this person is. Mm. And it does look slightly like she's got the goggles of a firefly, and certainly with the um, the, the little uh, lamp, the flame lamp that she's got, um, obviously not as big as Fireflies, no. but you kind of are wondering, going, is this Firefly? Mm. Um, it, it really could be. You know, is it something to do with um, with Poison Ivy trying to get back at Penguin, uh, given how he has treated her in the past? So, mm. yeah, at that moment, it was unsure who this person was yeah. and what the motives, but for it to be then moved into um, Myrtle and the number one fan element, I think was a really nice little touch and a fun touch. And I think um, a, a great to see Ed sort of really repulsed by his number one fan and wanting <laughs> to get out of that bed as quickly as possible. That's great. Really, really good. And yeah, lots of lots of shades of misery in there as well. Yeah, I thought it was actually going to be Selena. I don't know why. It's something about her old costume, the traditional Selena costume from season one where she had the... Uh, had the goggles on the head, making up the cat ears. That's what it reminded me of in Silhouette. But yeah, definitely trying to misguide, trying to change and guide us into thinking it's somebody else. And it turns out to be a brand new, wonderful Gotham resident. Absolutely. The next voicemail comes in through from Annalise. Hey guys, Annalise again. And I just finally caught up on episode three. So if this doesn't make it into the podcast, that's fine. So there were some good things and some bad, well, not bad things, but kind of eh things um, in this episode. I really loved seeing Bruce and Alfred kind of together and figuring out, I guess, the masks that he's going to wear. Um, I especially liked the uh, whole boat scene where they were pretending to be just a random Gotham citizen. Um, I'm not sure if I quite like the path they're going for Sophia Falcone yet because it almost kind of seems to me like she's just going to be Jim's next love interest and I'm just getting tired of that to be honest like I want them to be a more interesting character than just a side piece for Jim um I actually really loved uh Myrtle a lot um because being an Ed fan myself, I completely related to her so much, and um, I could, and I think my favorite scene this week is the one where she realizes she was working on the wrong muscle. Um, yeah, so looking forward to hearing the episode. Thanks so much for that, Annalise. You were a little bit late with the voicemail, but we held it back because you agreed with me on the uh, on the best moment of the week. <laughs> Loved Myrtle, really interesting. I suppose we've been to a lot of cons now with uh, with lots of Gotham fans, and there are some people that you would wonder about uh, whether they would love to uh, have Ed tied down to a bed in their house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully as well, Sophia um, Falcone um, is really using Jim here, and she is a much stronger, more independent uh, woman in Gotham, I think, you know, that she really uses and abuses him to get back at Jim for Mario's death, you know, yeah. that it's a part of a wider plan. It'll be kind of interesting to see how they go with it, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping that she's a much more complex character. I think I do feel that she's using something that Jim falls for, which is a pretty woman who uh, who comes on to him and likes his type of person. So, uh, yeah, I think she's just using him, as we, as we mentioned on the podcast. Thanks so much for that voicemail feedback. It's really good to hear from you. Our next piece of feedback comes over from our Facebook group. If you want to join us on Facebook, you can join us at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast. Jason Wiley says, hello, fellow Riddlets. Really enjoying season four so far. Loving the new direction of the show is going and things seem to have gone into overdrive. The Bruce arc is really well done and it's nice to see more Foxy action and the interaction between Bruce, Alfred and Foxy is working wonders at the Mo. Foxy, I presume, is Lucius Fox. Jason, yes. 
I do think the show needs to slow down a tad unless Bruce makes mistakes, develop his strengths and learn along the way. He seems a bit too polished right now and I'm not digging the whole Barbara and Rachel Gould storyline with the Lazarus Pit. Just makes no sense at all that they'd even be a thing unless he is using her to control the underworld. I did, however, love the brief history about Rachel Gould at the beginning. I could have watched a whole episode about just that. Anyway, keep up the great work and roll on Batman. Completely agree that the that opening, yeah, it would have been fantastic to have gotten that history of Rachel Ghoul for a whole episode. It also reminds me a bit like when they sort of delved back into the Court of Hours as well. That that kind of context being brought to Gotham uh, about its real distant past or things and events or people that are impacting on Gotham. I think it's really, really cool to see that the program does this occasionally. Um, in terms of Barbara and Rachel, yes, that was some uh, make-out indeed, uh, as we've already discussed. Um, it will be interesting, I suppose, just to see you know, what this relationship is about as we move forward. I think you know, this is, a, um, this is a, a plunge for the audience into the icy cold water to, uh, to really shock us into seeing that it was Rachel Ghoul who brought Barbara back. But I think hopefully we will get some kind of unraveling as to his full motives. Mm. I suspect it may be as simple as her fronting the his operations in the underworld now that the Court of Owls has gone. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see or whether it develops into a more romantic kind of thing. We do need to get Talia from somewhere. Um, and... You know, it will be interesting if that comes from the pairing of Barbara uh, and Rachel Ghoul. So maybe plunge yourself back into that ice bath after that thought. <laughs> we also get Doug Green, um, who comes in with another great episode. Bratty Bruce was awesome. And it's great to see David show a different side other than stoic. Yeah. Absolutely. The auction was a delight. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Richard Blaze says, Great episode, loving Street Urchin Bruce and Alfred and Bratty Bruce. A nice bit of detective work in it as well. I am concerned, though, that there appears to be another master thief in Gotham. Where have all the bras gone? I wondered, are all the women going to catch their death of cold? Um, yeah, this, uh, both Barbara and Sophia Falcone had uh, had this very similar dresses, one in black and one in white. I wonder if that symbolises that Sophia is working on the light side and Barbara's working on the dark. But yeah, mm. there's definitely a, a costume choice in the show this season uh, that that does make you think that a new a new bra knicker. <laughs> well, a bra and knickers stealer, maybe. <laughs> bra yes. thief, yes. Yes, the bra thief. Let's hope a chill wind does not run through Gotham um, as we move forward from the Rish of Ghoul. Um, well, Victor Fries has gone, so uh, I presume there's no chill Well, wind he's around. still around. Mm, yes, he's disappeared yeah. back off to his hideout, I would say. Uh, we have David Higuera as well. I thought it was a bit too soon to defrost Ed, but I'm glad he's back. I thought the girl that freed him would be around for a bit longer, but oh well. Uh, she was good in the episode, wanted to see what happened with Ivy, but I guess they're saving that for later. Awesome episode all round. Two million, haha, <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think you've touched on so many of the good points here. I definitely uh, agree with you about Ivy. I was wondering whether we were going to get something, but I think they're saving that for later, I suppose. She is such a big character. It will be nice to have an episode uh, more devoted to her. Um, as I say, I think Gotham really does ensemble writing uh, and episodes really, really well. And even though this was an Alfred and Bratty Bruce, I'm, I'm liking that now, very centric around that, it still pulled in so many other elements that didn't dilute um, this this really central stuff between Alfred and Bruce um, and, and certainly the, the two million and one cent was hilarious. Um, I loved uh, Barbara Keane's expressions as he keeps going, you know, one dollar and then one cent mm -hmm. above each of her marks at and the then, And then moves it from 300,000 to two million to buy it. So no chance she was ever going to catch up. And no way that Penguin was ever going to let her. Really good moment. Thanks so much for that feedback, David. And everybody over on our Facebook group. As I said, if you want to join us over there, over at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast. We did live tweet the episode over on 
on our Twitter account at Gotham TV Podcast uh, the other night, and we had a little competition courtesy of DC World, uh, just asking for the Gotham moment of the week. Uh, at Keynes Gallivan has won the competition. We will be in contact with you by direct message over on uh, Twitter just to uh, get your details and get that T-shirt out. Yeah, hopefully, we'll do some more competitions in the future. But if you want to enter our Gotham moment competition, all you need to do is email your thoughts about the episode with your favourite Gotham moment through to our email address at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Absolutely. Thank you so much to everyone who was live tweeting along with us and joining us for our live tweets of this episode of Gotham. It was great to have all those moments of the week coming in uh, to us. Uh, and well done, Keens Gallivan. Uh, for Bruce the Brat, absolutely. Remember, you can join us over at Twitter as well. As always, please come over to at Gotham TV Podcasts. Great for the t-shirt competition. Yeah, yeah, we'll try and live tweet as many episodes as we can this season. Uh, it's always fun to be on there for, for live tweets. There's lots of fun stuff going on and lots of great gifts going around as the episodes go on. Uh, a little bit of news um, to close out the episode. Uh, the Gotham panel at New York Comic Con has actually taken place tomorrow, uh, just after this episode's been released. So we don't want to have any news from that. We might talk about it next week if there's anything huge that comes up. Uh, remember, as we mentioned, Creation Entertainment is going to have their first ever Gotham fan festival, Gotham dedicated fan festival, starring many of the actors from the show uh, that's going on next weekend in Chicago which we'd love to have gone to uh, hopefully we'll get to the second one uh, but one final and I think very interesting bit of news that came from our friends over at comicbook.com a character is returning for season 4 hot on the heels of the return of Jonathan Crane from season 1 we're going to be getting Tommy Elliott back on the show uh, Tommy Elliott was uh, played by Cole Vallis back in season 1 I think it was episode 7 um, a, a very tense relationship between him and Bruce Wayne in the comic books those two characters were best friends as kids it's one of the only real stories that we get from the childhood of Bruce Wayne uh, where his best friend was Tommy Elliot and then grew up to be a shh, villainous character in the future shh, indeed yeah, yeah. Shh, uh, shh. no word whether Cole Valance is going to be back on the show I hope so I mean we really got quite excited in season one for seeing Tommy Elliot. Uh, and certainly it was only small amounts of, of, of scenes between Bruce uh, and, and Tommy uh, in season one. But yeah. yeah, the scenes were really good. I mean, Gotham came at it from a different angle rather than being friends. It was all about bullying at, at the, the prep school that Bruce and Tommy went to. But it'd be great to see uh, this character uh, back in, in Gotham and interacting with Bruce Wayne. Uh, and, and I think we really are hopeful that Cole Vallis will come back in, uh, in in the same way as Charlie Tahan for um, the the Skirker. I think yeah, they both cool. did really good jobs in, in that in their respective seasons uh, in, when they were first on the show. So really, really cool. It would just so, be cool to have those characters back. I, I, I don't. I much prefer when they don't have to recast an actor and the actor gets to come back and play a bigger role. I know Cole Vallis at the time, he was a, he was a very young actor. He was only about 14 or 15 when he got the role, and he was really excited knowing that the character was Tommy Elliott. And I know it must be a little bit disappointing when you when you come on board, play a character that's from the comic books, and you don't get to do anything of the big moments. You don't get to play the part as friend to Bruce. I also kind of want them to expand on Bruce's circle of influence. He does need to have those characters. He does need to have people surrounding him, like Rachel Dawes, for example, who was created for the the um, Nolan films. I'd love to see him have an interaction with a Rachel Dawes now, you know. Uh, I'd like to see him have some friends within Gotham and some other younger people so that, not that this turns into a teen drama or anything, but I just would like to see a little bit more development of his circle around him. Definitely. Uh, but as always, if you have any thoughts on any of the news, any of the points from the Gotham episodes, please send them through to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or you can join our Facebook group over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Gotham TV podcast. There are three little answers uh, to get through the the gate. We are the gatekeeper. Uh, <laughs> and the key is three little questions. Uh, and of course, Please send any voicemails through uh, to us at gothamtvpodcast.com. I promise they're not trivia questions. They're just very simple questions um, to get you into the group. But there is the page, obviously, as well. We do post all of the regular news over on the page. But if you want to come and join us in the group, just answer the quick questions and we'll let you in, obviously. Yeah, and importantly, please uh, come on over, listen, subscribe to our podcast over at Apple Podcasts 
or any other good podcast catcher. Just head on over to gothamtvpodcast.com and choose one of your subscribe buttons. Whether you're an Apple fan, an Android fan, or a fan of any other form or way of listing. You can even listen direct through the website if you want. That's true. There's a shock for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's true. And leave us a review. We, lo- we loved having a, a new review for Gotham TV Podcast. It's always fun. Great having the interaction on the episodes anyway. But uh, if you want to leave us a review over on iTunes, sure, why not? Always nice to hear your thoughts about the yeah. episode. So thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And we will be back for Gotham Season 4, Episode 4, the Demon's Head, which is on the 12th of October. And written by Ben McKenzie. Yeah, good Direct, old Benji. Directed an episode back in season three and now gets to write an episode in season four. Really excited to see what he brings to the to the writing room for this show. Yeah, absolutely. As always, we'll speak with you again soon. Thanks so much, Gothamites. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham. This is Robin Lloyd-Taylor. I'm David Mazuz. Hey, Gotham TV podcast listeners. This is Maggie Gia, otherwise known as Poison Ivy. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV podcast.